Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash. So on Monday, John Cassavetes nailed his audition for a play and Mia Farrow nailed her audition as the mother of the Dark Lord Satan's child. But today, Gregory Peck is all in a fluster as he finds out one of cinema's creepiest kids might be a real problem child and learns a valuable lesson about swapping babies. From 1976, it's The Omen. For generations, the Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position and power. The perfect marriage of Ambassador Robert Thorne and his wife Catherine was fulfilled by the birth of their son, Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, something terrible happened. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. The Hello, Clash Potters! When the Jews return to Zion, and a comet fills the sky, and the Holy Roman Empire rises, then you and I must die. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Hey, Chris is recording remotely for probably the last time. Uh, fingers crossed, because um, Vicky and I are missing you, man. Just want to come out and say that. First, first, out, first thing out of my mouth, we're missing you. V... Yeah, I want to see your hairy legs in some shorts in this heat. Mm. It isn't the same. Yeah, we're just imagining them right now, mm. which is sort of more troubling. Do they sweat? Mm, great. Or does all the hair sort of catch the sweat and then mm. you just wipe them down in a sort of tidal wave of sweat? We'll find out next week. I'll let you touch them. <laughs> That'll be a first. Have you ever touched them? No. No, me neither. Me neither. That'd be a great day. Great day. Right then, small talk out of the way. Very quickly, if you haven't subscribed to us, uh, would you be kind enough to do that? That would be amazing. Please do on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Uh, it's hugely appreciated. And also, if you can leave us a rating, or maybe even a review, that's great too. Because if you leave us a review, you might have it read out on the show by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a bit like this. From Akira Lives, who writes... 
found this podcast a few weeks ago when they were comparing Stay Tuned and The Cable Guy, and I thought it was such a strange combination of oft-forgotten films that I had to listen. I'm glad I did because it is exactly what I needed. The breakdown of the films, the trivia, and the presenter's opinions pulled me down the rabbit hole, and I'm yet to emerge. That's such. That's really good to hear. Right? Validation of, for stay tuned. Of all Thank God. the pairings, because <laughs> yeah. even I was like, what, We've, "Yeah, we fucked up." What have we done here? <laughs> Me and you, some fucking nostalgia for stay tuned, mm-hmm. forcing it into people's aural cavities. Yeah, and actually, turns turns out we out, were right. Yeah, I'm, totally right. I'm glad. Totally right. I'm glad we added one listener because that week we lost about a thousand. <laughs> came back. The, <laughs> they came back the week after, but I'm glad Akira lives joined we're the gaining party. the good ones. Gaining the good ones. That's great. That's great. Uh, thank you very much for that review. Uh, so let's crack into this. Uh, these were Victoria's choices. Once again, reminders why, Victoria? I just read both the books in a compilation of books and I can see the link. And so there we are. That's it. Yep. Very matter of fact. Yeah. That'll do. That'll do. So on Monday, Chris introduced us to Rosemary's baby, who was lovely despite his father's eyes. And today I'm shining a light on how adoption is something best discussed with one's partner. Let me take you on a journey. Gregory Peck discovers he and his wife have lost their newborn baby, having the news broken to him gently by a priest who says, The child is dead. He breathed for a moment. Then he breathed no more. The child is dead. But before you can say, probably find a gentler way to let your missus know, he's decided to secretly swap out his dead baby for a live one without telling her, because that's not the worst idea ever. All is well for one hot minute. Before shit gets weird, nannies kill themselves, voyeuristic dogs turn up, David Warner shows off his photo collection, priests get impaled, giraffes get scared, but we've got to get to Maguido to meet Bugenhagen. Where's Bugenhagen? Find Bugenhagen! Fucking Bugenhagen. Anyway, after finally being convinced that Damien might be a bad egg, aka the fucking Antichrist, Gregory Peck decides to murder him with the seven daggers, but not before making sure the police are going to chase him, including perhaps the only officer in the whole of Britain who has a gun, <laughs> thus ensuring Damien survives and ends up living with the President of the United States because the leader of the free world often takes in children whose dad attempted to murder them in an ancient Christian ritual. Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, The Omen. So, histories with this movie, V. So, I saw it after I read the book when I was younger, um, but the reason this has always stayed with me, is it, tr- is it true for you because of Only Fools and Horses? What? No. Really? Go on. Oh, it must have you, must, you know what I'm talking about, Chris, yes? Yeah. Yeah, it's like... What so, is it? So in Only Fools and Horses, it's either a Christmas special or it's a really... Short, like in my family home, Only Fools and Horses was a big hit, Fine. obviously. So um, they have a baby called Damien. And what what's the other brother called? He doesn't like Rodney. the baby. And it, yeah, and Rodney doesn't like the baby and it rides a tricycle and Raquel names it Damien. And so then there's the music. And I just thought that was... Oh, I thought that was the funniest thing I'd How ever seen. How have I seen. never seen this? It's really, really funny. Was it made around the time of The Omen? It can't no, have no, been. No, 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 it's much later. Wow. Yeah, it feels like some of like the later series of Only Fools and Horses. It's really, really funny. I guess that tells you what a touchstone this movie was. Yeah, yeah. If you can, 10 years later, perhaps, be making a parody of The yeah. Omen on Only Fools and Horses. It wow. How do you not know this, Alex? Did, seven... did you watch... Were you the only person in England that didn't watch Only Fools and Horses? 
that your, your clue is in your question to my answer. No, I never really watched Only Fools oh. and Horses. I saw the one where he gets mistaken for a crime kingpin and oh, that was terrible. ends up like that was terrible. ends up on a jet ski like heading out to sea. Seen the one where they're dressed as Batman and Robin? No. You haven't seen that. Fuck, that's. Funny. I've seen the one where they undo the wrong chandelier and it smashes. I, I, but that's the only bit I remember. I literally never watched Only Fools the, the and Horses. Kid, the kid being called Damien is a joke that ran for about fifteen years on the show. Yeah. It's, and it's brilliant. Well, that gives you an idea of how little I've seen of that Fair show enough. if I didn't see one inside 15 years. Fair enough. Okay, so that's why you wanted to do The Omen. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. Chris, what's your history with this uh, movie? Only Fools and Horses. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, no, I watched it. I probably watched it that period. I watched um, uh, Rosemary's Baby when I was trying to catch up on all these horror films. I'm pretty sure I watched the, the, the Omen trilogy all in the space of a weekend and the quality mm. does drop dramatically from film to film, <laughs> um, culminating in that the, the, the Sam Neill one, which he doesn't like to talk about. But um, have you tried to talk about it with him? That sounded like that sounded like a memory that no, no, filtering I, through I saw in the him on the telly. Voice. I saw him on the he other telly like the other day. He was it. he was Russell Kane. Someone was visiting Russell. One of the comedians that's called Russell was visiting his vineyard, and he was very embarrassed about um, playing the devil in in playing David in Omen Three. So. Um, no, and I watched it, I, I, and I loved it. Yeah, and I, like, this is a film I have seen a couple of times since because I think it's one of those fun films. It's got it's, the kills are so enjoyable that if it's on telly, I will stick around to watch either what either the nanny death or right the way through to um, David Warner's death. Okay, uh, so my history with this movie is um, all right. It's a British TV show, Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> Fucking love that shit. Uh, no, uh, actually, both your reasons are better than mine. I've seen this once at some point as a teenager, I think, and I remember enjoying it. But weirdly, the moments that I remember enjoying are the moments I remembered watching it again this time. I'm like, yeah, that moment, that's a great moment. So it probably says that I haven't changed in about 20 years. But yeah, I was looking forward to seeing it again, and it did not disappoint. Two great movies this week. I, I'm going to say this because I know I'm not really allowed to offer an opinion at this point, and I wouldn't dream of doing that, Chris very close for me this week i'm still at this point a little unsure of which movie i'm going to go for in the verdict do you guys know what you're going for uh i do but it was it was really hard okay okay chris yes okay all right let me tell you a little bit about the history of this movie. So producer Harvey Bernhard, Harvey Harvey Bernhard, um, says his friend seeded the idea in 1973 of a film about the Antichrist. Uh, the friend in question was an ad exec, an evangelical Christian called Robert Munger, who would go on to become the religious consultant to the producers on this movie. So he'd read this very popular book. Uh, it was released in the 1970s called The Late Great Planet Earth by an American fundamentalist minister called Hal Lindsey, which tapped into this fear that a lot of fundamentalist Protestants had about the imminence of the apocalypse. And so he talks about this idea to Harvey, and Harvey was like, this is interesting. Uh, the book doesn't talk about the Antichrist walking the earth. That came from Robert Munger, who was like, there's a possibility, a very real possibility, that the Antichrist may well already be here walking the earth right now, in the form of a child unknown to humanity. So uh, being a film producer, Bernhard uh, doesn't go, that shit's scary. He goes, let's make a movie out of that. That's a brilliant idea. So he contacts his friend David Seltzer, who we were talking about just the other day on the show, did uncredited rewrites on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. 
He was one of those. Uh, so he writes a script, um, taking a few ideas from this book and then making a lot of other stuff up. Uh, for example, that quote that I used at the start feels totally authentic, biblical, about when the Jews return to Zion. Oh, yeah. All of that. And a comet rips the sky. Just made it up. Just was like, sounds, sounds fucking cool. cool. Sounds fucking cool. Stick it in. So he made that up. And uh, actually, he also made up the idea, which I couldn't believe. And I sort of fact-checked this enough, but not loads. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you'll know for sure. But the Antichrist is not meant to be the son of the devil. Like, that is not a thing. And in Rosemary's Baby, they never call Adrian the Antichrist. No. But in this, they do refer to Damien as the Antichrist. But the Antichrist is just a follower of Satan. Right. And not actually the son of the devil. Okay. So that was something that was created in this film that a lot of... Not to criticise the Bible again, because I'm Mm. aware we do that, but... Like, if Jesus was the son of God, mm. wouldn't it make sense that the Antichrist was the son of the devil? Like, the mirroring that they do foreshadow a lot in the Bible. Awesome thought, V. Uh, David Seltzer had the same thing. Okay. And he put it in this freaking script. Yeah. It's all there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but, you know, just because it sounds better, you can't just change history. So, obviously, <laughs> they had to write it down as fact in the Bible. So, very different. Yeah. Very different. Obviously, if you'd done the pass on it, if you've someone been, had just come to me, if which been they asked, never do, has to do a pass on the Bible, <laughs> you'd have been like, collapse these characters, <laughs> yeah, and talk to my agent. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people talk about this is you know why the Omen is such a cultural touchstone and had this huge popularity because a lot of Christians still or still think the Antichrist is son of the devil, you know, and obviously also uh, they love only fools and horses. <laughs> So Seltzer finishes his draft in a year. Richard Donner gets on board as a director. Him and Seltzer sound like they have, uh, you mentioned this on Monday's episode, Chris, uh, they have a little bit of a to-do because Donner is very much like, let's leave it ambiguous. We want this to work as an idea, (laughs) which when you've watched the movie, it sounds kind of insane. The idea that all these coincidences are happening, these accidents are happening, but they're just coincidences, but enough of them stack up that Gregory Peck's character, Robert Thorne, just loses his mind because it's like, this must be a pattern, but actually you're never sure as the viewer. Seltzer goes, no, <laughs> we're having an evil, an evil force, the force of the devil, these Satanists, they are actually causing all these events. So they have a bit of to do. Um, Ultimately, uh, Bernhard goes with Seltzer's version of the events, but it doesn't really end there. So in terms of casting, uh, various names uh, were in the mix for Ambassador Robert Thorne, William Holden, Charles Bronson, Dick Van Dyke, Charlton Heston, Roy Scheider. Yeah? Mm, yeah. Oh, I can see I can see at least four of those uh, doing it really well. I, uh, Richard Donner said, go on. I, I thought something interesting is that in the original script, it was supposed to be a Brit. That wasn't supposed to be an American character. And he named him Jeremy Thorne, which was supposed to be after Jeremy Thorpe. Do you guys know Jeremy Thorpe? Yeah, from the Hugh Grant thing. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was a very English scandal. The, that, sorry, it's not a Hugh Grant thing. Yeah, the Russell T. Davis drama, what's it called? An English Gentleman? A, a very English scandal. A very English So, so Very English scandal. Jeremy Thorpe was the Liberal uh, Party leader in the 70s. And he was um, accused of murdering or conspiring to murder his male lover, Norman Scott. And he ended up um, 
appearing in court for that in the in the late seventies. And so this was in the news at the time. And so it, yeah, it, it was Jeremy Thorne was basically going to be Jeremy Thorpe, uh, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> but as as the screenwriter said, American commerce demands American players, so he changed it to an American character and dropped the Jeremy. Yeah. And I guess this works with this whole the theme of Damien trying to ascend the ranks of power. Mm. You know, if you've got someone who, as is said in the movie, is on the way to the American presidency, you know, you go the leader of the free world is who you want to be uh, standing next to. Uh, so Richard Donner said in an interview a couple of years ago uh, that for various reasons it didn't work out. Some people didn't want to do it and some people they didn't think worked. So he was approached by Gregory Peck's agent. Now, at this point, Gregory Peck hadn't acted for about two years uh, following the death of his son by suicide. And his agent was worried about him and wanted him to get out of the house. So organises a meeting between Donna and Peck. And Donna pitches the idea that apparently he'd lost the argument to David Seltzer with who was like you know this is this is this is this is definitely the work of the devil in this movie Don is not listening he pitches it to Peck as uh, yeah this is a mystery thriller suspense thriller these events could be coincidence and it's uh, the culmination of these coincidences that make your character go insane and Peck was like okay we'll never call it a horror film then and Richard Don is like absolutely not and so Peck jumps on board at that point. So really, the director and the star, this isn't meant to be, as far as they're concerned, a horror movie. Agree or disagree? I Well, I agree that that's what they thought, <laughs> because that's what you've told me. Yeah. But it is a horror movie. Yeah. Even more so in some sort of, you know, in some the language of some things uh, than Rosemary's Baby, because it's got the graphic kills. Mm. Like, Rosemary's Baby doesn't. Mm. Yeah, that was something Peck was worried about. He didn't want it to be, I think, exploitative, these kills. And he says they're not. They pulled back on them a I th- little bit. I don't think that's true. I think it's true with the priest, maybe, because it could be an accident. But when David Warner's, what's he called the character? When he gets his fucking head sliced Jennings. off by a pane of glass, yep. that's just a proper brilliant horror movie moment. Yeah. Weirdly, one of the moments I remembered from watching it as a kid. It's you don't, brilliant. You don't forget that. You don't forget that. Uh, so, yeah, Donna described uh, Peck as a delight to work with, and they only had one big argument during the making of this, which I will tell you about as we go through the film. Other than that, uh, massive success. Um, crazy. I mean, I know it was 76, but this was only a – it sounds so small now. Less than $3 million wow. budget. I uh, went on to make $60 million. There's been a lot of theories about why that is and the fact that at this point, American values were changing in the 70s and a lot of people who were fans of the traditional church and those values, they were seeing that disintegrate and so the omen played into those fears and that was why it was so popular. Yes, I see that. I, I mean, I know that when I read it in the book, it's it's so convincing the way that it's framed about that the antichrist, that uh, the well, what's the biblical description about rising up the, the the sea of power will be politics. I think it's undersold yes. in the film. It's like well, it will be a politician, and they're because they're having a coffee in a service station at this point. It's like that's <laughs> a bit stupid. But in the book, you're like, yeah, get it. That makes sense. And then you know, you could be reading that at any point. I was reading it in like the '90s, and you're like, yeah, definitely, like that. I completely see the logic. This is when uh, David Warner's character Jennings is on his massive exposition drive. Yeah, when they're on holiday together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, we got that. We got that. We're going to get into that. Uh, Any more on the history of making this movie? Chris, you got anything, man? Um, I'm, I, I very much like that Harvey Stevens, the youngster that plays Damien, um, in his audition, uh, Richard Donner asked him to, to, to play out the scene where he just goes nuts on his mum. 
And as Donna puts it, Harvey Stevens hit me in the balls over and over again, even after I yelled cut. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I said, dye's hair black. You're hired. (laughs) Dye's hair black. He is Damien. (laughs) And then another quote from him, he said, he was a good kid. I would not have wanted him to have been my own. (laughs) So he's quite a naughty boy, young Harvey Stevens, apparently on set, but uh, which makes me laugh. Uh, he turned into quite a naughty man as well because he uh, he was convicted for uh, assault in America for road rage on two cyclists who one of them who f- flicked the bird at him and he pulled over and was like I'm having you wow so uh, it's a little little bit of a naughty man but he still does the horror conventions and stuff um, and also uh, soundtrack by Jerry Goldsmith. Um, and just looking at our schedule, we did The Burbs, Sleeping with the Enemy, Planet of the Apes and The Omen. We've just done a, Gary, a Jerry Goldsmith month without realising. <laughs> or or, or realising, but not doing on purpose. I very much hope you haven't picked a Jerry Goldsmith uh, movie next week, Alex. I don't think you have. No, I don't think so. You have. Oh, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's the short answer. Maybe, Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. It's a, we're on this journey together. <laughs> All right, then. Let's go through this film. Uh, section one, swap that baby. <laughs> so American diplomat Robert Thorne and his wife Catherine are in Rome when their baby supposedly dies in childbirth. And as a result of this, she may never be able to have kids again. Robert is like, man, that news would kill her. <laughs> a little bit of foreshadowing. Uh, faster, for example, than a replacement baby who might be the son of the devil. Uh, cue shifty priest, Father Spiletto, being like, sorry, did you say replacement baby? Weird coincidence. Uh, we actually have one. How's this for an idea? And um, This is a big start. This is inside like three minutes yeah. and this is happening. This is a big, a big lie, a big commitment yeah. by Gregory Peck's character, Robert Thorne. Yeah, and it's it's brilliant because you're screaming like you can't do that to her. You've just got to tell her. Mm. And you're screaming that quite a lot throughout the rest of the film. Yeah. But because he's told this massive lie, he's backed himself into a corner with her. Mm. Um, and there are points in the film that I, you know, I think maybe, I mean, would change it completely, but he should definitely tell her what's going on rather than, well, maybe you are uh, fucking yeah. nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but it is brilliant. It's essential for the story as we know it that he doesn't tell her what's going on. I think I need a, 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 to see a psychiatrist, Robert. Yeah. Big pause. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get you that. Yeah, because either option is like a nightmare conversation for me. (laughs) Fucking nightmare conversation that I do not want to have. But it's weird because, like, every going through it, you sort of take a step back and go, it's what an insane thing to do. Like what? What a crazy, what a crazy situation. First of all, you know, I I don't know what was going on in Rome in the seventies. Like, you know, but fair enough. And. Uh, and you sort of like you, it should make you go. Well, this is this is already too ridiculous, and yet it works. Like it, he, like Gregory Peck sells this yeah, idea. He does, and you cut so quickly to Damien in terms of this, the length of the film. Mm. You don't see she gets given the baby and it's fine, and then cut to he's five. So you haven't, yeah. you know, you miss all of that where you you don't need to see it, but you assume because you've been taken through forward through time that she's bought it and it's fine and it's a happy family. So. Uh, Robert is then made ambassador to Great Britain, uh, which in a scene that honestly, if I was Italian watching this, I'd been upset because he has never been as thrilled as anything to yeah. get out of Italy. He's like, fuck this place. Woo! London! Here we come, <laughs> baby. And I don't think it's ever said outright. So this is a question because I said it in the connections at the start of Monday's episode. Do you think that the Satanists 
like the followers of Damien, the people who are there to look after him. Do you think they've had a hand in accelerating Robert Thorne's career, getting this position as ambassador to the UK? But not as a gift for him, necessarily. More to put the child in a better position. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, maybe. Chris? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right, cool. Non-committal. Section two, devil dog. So we're in Britain in a lovely home. Uh, we find out in a little aside, and I really like this, that Robert and Catherine have been together since college. Yeah. It's just a really little throwaway line. Um, but uh, for me, you know, within the tools of a film, this to me says they are madly in love and have been childhood sweethearts and... Therefore, every shitty thing that's going to happen is given much more of an emotional impact because they are very much in love and have been from a young age. Yeah, and it's funny how it seals the lie, doesn't it? Because that's such a big lie. But if they've been together that amount of time, he, in some ways he knows that that it is the right thing for her mm. and you it's, that's a big thing to swallow isn't it as the audience mm. that, that you didn't you lied to you know your wife but it, yeah you're right that it seals the deal kind of thing I'm also impressed that at the age of 60 which is what he is at this time he, he's a horny bugger still isn't he getting, getting his afternoon yeah, delight on I hope I'm that horny when I'm 60 I think as a compliment you could be too sexy for the White House he's like as good as it gets <laughs> <laughs> because there's everything in there you are fit great still we're going to the White House together mm. everything's in there that's very attractive Yeah, you would have sex with him in an empty room after that do you think they do it in the room I thought they were going somewhere going upstairs okay yeah so, so not that the child can't see them because yeah. that's gross yeah it is <laughs> Is it when they when a child is too young to have an understanding of what it's seeing? I just don't see how it wouldn't put you off. When my cat used to look at me. When your cat used to take, let it out of the room. Stop shutting the door. You're going nowhere. <laughs> were you, were you, you will sit and watch. Were you on your own when this was happening, Alex? <laughs> oh, how was that? <laughs> Am I doing it right? <laughs> <sighs> So they're having a garden party and there's a young nanny watching. Um, uh, and then we've got, uh, uh, there's a dog that just shows up that seemingly has free reign of the grounds of the house, uh, Satan's little helper, who instantly wants rid of this other nanny. This is my interpretation of it. Now, the dog is obviously, you know, on side with Satan and the Satanists. Um, so it wants to install Mrs. Baylock yeah. into the house. Pretty quickly, and so that's why it gives the nanny that look. Going, kill yourself. Yeah, I, I, there's that reading, and I also had. A, I, I'm not saying these are. I just had two parallel readings, which is she is a satanist, mm. and she, the original nanny, mm. and she's been waiting for her cue from the dog or a agent of Satan mm. to do something so disturbing that it says to... Because the clever thing about this film is that Damien is the son of the devil, but Damien is still a child, so doesn't understand his own power and needs protecting. Mm. So needs to be told in a really visual, visceral way, this is your path. So I think she was like waiting for the moment where it's like, do this thing and he will have a, he'll start to have an understanding of who he is. That's why she says it's all for you. Well, that works as well because he says... When he sees her, because she's like, Damien, Damien, look at me. I'm over here, Damien. I love you, Damien. And he actually then goes, look, there's Nanny. So there is in the script him definitely referencing her up there, which could work both ways, but fits with what you're saying. Yeah, and it would also make sense if Mrs. Baylock it really is from the same agency as she is, which she does claim. It would suggest that there's this sort of satanic uh, nanny agency working at work, which <laughs> is a good idea. I think they play that up. Have you read Good Such Omens? Such nannies. I think they've read that. They played that up in Good Omens. If you've read that book, 
No. Which is a spoof of this. Neil Gaiman's book. Yeah, it's a spoof right. of this no, where, right. where the, 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 it's sort of the same story, but the, 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 the babies get swapped and, and the, the devil goes to the wrong family and some, some pointless baby goes to, the, the, to, to, to be, uh, be all, the all-powerful. It's very funny, but um, yeah, hmm. I, think that make, I think that makes sense because uh, I wasn't sure either, but the way you've explained it there, Vicky, I think that makes, that makes more sense. That's more logical. and Because I couldn't understand why the death was so public. but then. Um, yes, if it's a message to Damien specifically, then it does make sense. Mm. Uh, we also at this party uh, meet uh, David Warner, who plays Jennings. Uh, he's a, a photojournalist slash paparazzi. He sort of inhabits a grey area. For example, he seems to have special press accreditation to be at the private residence of the ambassador to the UK. And yet a nanny kills herself. He's like, fucking get that. Yeah. And he's like sort of doorstepping the ambassador outside like his office and taking photos of the priest. Yeah. I think as a paparazzo, it's a bit weird that you'd follow a diplomat around or an ambassador. Cause that's not you. That's, I don't think that shifts papers, mm. but I think he's there to photograph the party. Cause it's like a society event because right. they're a, a well-to-do couple. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Section three, blustering Brennan. Time to meet Patrick Troughton, uh, who is awesome yeah. uh, as Father Brennan. Um, oh, he's Father, awesome he's, in his before- he's basically Father Jack, I think, for some of his scenes. <laughs> he's so dishevelled and he's talking such nonsense. Yeah. I mean, this is, so when I say he's awesome, it's an awesome performance within the, the sort of Within the confines of the story and what he's trying to do, he's it's just insane. It's insane. Like, Why are you if talking? You are trying to convince. <laughs> Why are you talking in riddles? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're trying to convince the U.S. ambassador that his son may be the Antichrist. So your approach, in my mind, would be soft touch. Yeah, or slowly, slowly, catchy monkey. Comb your hair. Put mm. a bit of blusher on. Yeah. Try not to look like an angel of death. Mm. I mean, Brennan's approach is, we must eat the flesh of Christ! <laughs> Accept him! Drink his blood! Uh, to which point, at which point, uh, Thorne goes, security, <laughs> as you fucking would! I was also, I don't know if this is, but I was also amazed that they filmed inside the American embassy. It is, isn't it? It, it really is, yeah. I, I'm, I listened to the commentary and, and they got in there at 7am on a Sunday morning. They shot in the lobby. And then that is actually the American ambassador's office that, that he's using as his own office. I mean, I'm amazed that the wow. American embassy read this script and thought, yep, we want to be part of this. <laughs> That's fine, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we do this one little line that I, I wanted to look up because as he's about to be dragged out by security, he goes about the child. He says, his mother was a jack. And you only hear the J word. I was mm. like, what's that about? Yeah. And it's jackal. I know. Oh. Did you? Yeah. Why? Um, because the... Because of the idea that it, the devil is, you know, mm. um, uh, symbiosis with a goat. Symbiosis? That's not the right word, is it? The goat thing. Um, mm. And then if it wasn't, I thought he was going to say, your mother is a goat, but he didn't. He said, <laughs> yeah. And so it, it, jackal makes sense. Yeah. I couldn't find a lot on it, though. I mean, I, it's sort of like weird. But the, the idea of the devil having some sort of symbiotic relationship with jackals, I guess animals in general and dogs. So fine. Yeah. yeah fine. Fine. Uh, anyway, uh, David Warner uh, Jennings grabs a photo of Father Brennan in one of the really iconic ideas in this film, which is the premonitions 
that these photos contain about how people are going to die. Yeah, which I've always bought 100%, like in my real life as well, that the idea that there's layers of atmosphere and universe and time and whatever that a camera could pick up. We've talked about this before, like a crackly tape, even though we don't listen to tapes, if you did have a crackly tape and then it said at the end after the recording, you're all going to die, yeah. you would be fucked up by that. There's an amazing um, there's an amazing sci-fi novel called, uh, did I tell you about, I think I told you about this, The Three Body Problem. Uh, it's a, a Chinese science fiction oh, yeah, novel, did, yeah. and um, but that's got a, uh, that's got a concept like this in it, where um, a guy starts taking photographs on his camera, and as he develops the photos, he sees a countdown, a sort of ethereal countdown appearing mm-hmm. in the corner, and each later photo he takes, the countdown's got shorter and shorter, and he becomes obsessed with what the countdown is for. Brilliant. I do think it's a tiny gripe, but when uh, Jennings develops the photograph of Father Brennan and you see the spike, I think the spike should be a bit scarier because at first you could be like, oh, that's just a mistake in the Mm -hmm. developing fluid and all the rest of it. But the spike, although it gets stronger, it doesn't look scarier. So it could be a fault in the paper or in the camera or whatever. Mm. And I I think, again, that might be, when I watched it at the time, I was like, that's really scary. But now modern, I was like, some make it jagged or something or whatever. It just looks like a mistake. But it's meant, but it's meant I know, to look, I, I know. know it's meant to look like a mistake and you do too. I know you know that, but I think if it had sort of like anything ornate on it, like it had like the, the, the crucifix yeah. from the spire of the church, you'd immediately go, that's fucking weird. Whereas, you know, this way we get Jennings like, yeah, like but then it shots of him running like, his finger down it again and again. What like going, is this? This is interesting. But it plays into what you've said earlier in the research, which is I never for one second thought, well, this, that's just a coincidence. It's like, I know that this is the devil child and I know that he can kill people. So I I, I, don't, I don't think the spike is a, a mistake in the development of a yeah. photograph. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I like the spike as is. Yeah. I think it's good. It's of the photos, which are the others? Yeah, there's the there's the noose round the nanny's neck, which you see. I didn't mind that one. Um, I didn't mind that one. Um, <laughs> the one that Jennings finds of himself later is a bit weak. Yeah, it's sort of you like can't quite tell what it's it. just a black triangle sort of coming in and sort of cutting off his head. Mm. Scares the shit out of him though. Uh, right, we'll go into section four after this short break. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, section four. Bloody Baylock. <laughs> I, I hate Mrs. Baylock. Why? I, absol- I mean... When I say that, like... Like good hate. like Good hate. Yeah. Like, n- not like I hate the performance. So I I, I, I think she's, she's gr- so awful, though. Yeah. It's that thing. It's like, it's the, it's the patronizing thing where she's like, oh, why don't you let me and Damien just get to know each other? You yeah. Know, take a step back and that all to be covered to do some horrific things later don't on. The you fact think she's, she's let into their home. When she, she says it once, she says, if I could see your boy. And they're like, okay, cool, sure. And they let her go. And then they realize that mm. neither one of them have ordered her from the nanny agency. So they go up and they confront her Mrs. Baylock what's happening she's like oh but the agency sent me mom or whatever and then she says again she repeats the line if I could see your boy and the look on her face is that she's excited because she's going to see her boss mm. that's so good she's not like she's not super cold and detached from it and just trying to convince in that moment to me that line is like she's made a mistake because she's so excited that mm. she's just repeated herself rather than saying something more convincing and I think the performance there is really chilling would you let that, that. woman in your yeah. house Vicky <laughs> It reminded me of um, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Mm. Like, even Mrs. Baylock is like, I've got references. Like, and she works for the devil. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wouldn't let her in my house and I wouldn't let her see the boy. Mm. Yeah. Just... But she sells it as well when she's like these younger nannies. They hit boyfriend troubles, mm. and I'm past all that. She doesn't even say past all that because that's really weak. She's just like, and that's no longer my kids or something. And you're like, yes, an older lady. Or she's not like really old, but she's saying I will be calm, whereas your other nanny was hysterical, and that mm. works. You yeah. buy that, yeah. And yeah, by by having them sort of go, hang on a sec, neither of us ordered her, and checking up on that. It's sort of they've done their due diligence. Yeah. It's not like they're idiots. It's not like you can really stand back. I mean, yeah, she's a fucking creep show. But like you, you know, I suppose you could do with, is this a bit petty that the the point that the nanny has come along, the replacement nanny, Mrs. Baylock, maybe Robert Thorne's career is taken off to another extent where they're very busy. Mm. So they're sort of up against it because she's, she's there to say, I'm going to help Damien get over this trauma. But if they're like, we're desperate for help. So we don't have the time to find another nanny who's less fucking terrifying. Or you have it that because he's really busy and his wife's uh, busy, at never at no point do they ever discuss that. They both assume that she's been brought in because yeah. the other requested it, and then you have a reveal later on where he's like, No, it's fantastic that you got the nanny because obviously I'm so yeah, busy. And she's like, like oh. uh, what now? Yeah. So uh, they try and take Damien to church and <laughs> he has one hell of a tantrum. 
This is probably my favorite Damien scene in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can see why he got the part after like doing this because it's, he, it's a, I mean, you've seen child tantrums. How accurate is it or is it above and beyond what you've seen? It's good because it's, it, what's really powerful about it is the tantrum itself and he does attack his mum and doesn't he give her a black eye or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, he beats the shit out of her. Yeah, he does beat the shit out of her and that's obviously terrifying. But when children go nuts, they are quite, they're not in control of their emotions and all the rest of it. But what buttons it is that she, Kathy, later tries to say, he just had a bad day and mm. you do do that and that you're like, oh fuck, because there's only, you can only do that so many times before it's unacceptable and all the rest of it. But if it only, if it was the first time it had ever happened and you really don't want it to happen again and you can't think about what that actually means for the rest of his life, your life, do we need to go to a doctor? Is there something wrong? Blah, blah, blah. Have I done something wrong? All those usual feelings. So we all do that thing where you're like, oh, he, we just had a rough day. Oh, what do we say all the time? Oh, he's just tired. Mm. It's like, yeah, he's tired. He's also just beat the shit out of everyone. So, yeah, yeah I think that works amazingly. So his look when he's watching, like looking at the iconography of his nemesis on the church, <laughs> like staring at it, and he's like, oh man, I'm not happy about this. His yeah. face is unbelievable. And yeah. um, Donna said he had to pinch him and tell him he was going to kick the crap out of him to make him have that reaction, which is dark. Um, <laughs> That's the, um, upsetting. The score as well here is great. And it's interesting. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith said that, that when he was working on the score, Richard Donner phoned him and said, I've just seen Jaws. We need a Jaws moment here. So I want you to get hold of the score of Jaws and copy it. And when you listen to it, it's really similar to what John Williams does in, in Jaws here. It's not like any of the other score in this movie, but this is their Jaws moment. Mm. It's uh, yeah, for such a sort of little scene, it's a really, really good moment. And like I said, uh, Harvey Stevens, best scene as Damien. This is uh, one of only three credits to his name. So he did this and then he did a little TV movie and he played Tabloid Reporter 3 in the 2006 reboot. Would you like to know what he does now? Yes, he attends conventions for a living. He occasionally will attend conventions, but his business is uh, customising jet skis for super yachts. Wow, mm, great. Yeah. He's only been doing it for a few years, but he says it's going well. He's good at it. Yeah. Uh, so as you said, Damien's tantrum bruises Catherine's face. Uh, there's a, a, a sort of odd moment, but I get it now, where Robert goes, are you sure you don't want to call the doctor? And she yeah. goes, I'm fine. And he goes, I meant for Damien. <laughs> and initially you think, oh, you monster. Uh, but actually he's starting to think maybe... There's something else here. He starts going on about the fact he's never been ill. Yeah. His first sort of doubts are creeping in. But she, like you just said, is very much like, I just want to package that over there, compartmentalise it yep. and move on. Don't want to look at that. Uh, anyway, one other thing that happens right now, uh, Baylock has made herself right at home. She found a dog in the garden. Oh, that dog is so... I mean, I'm quite scared of dogs mm. and it's really terrifying. And later on when Gregory Peck is scared of the dog, I was with him there because I know some people aren't and they would know how to deal with an animal like that and I would be hiding in the basement until it went away. It's a scary dog, though. I mean, look, you know, you um, Rottweilers are a breed that scared the shit out of me as a kid because they are a big, powerful dog, big, powerful jaws. And obviously they had this reputation, which comes from the people who, you know, own them rather than the breed itself. Yeah. But they were a scary breed. And yeah. I, I just remember that scene in It where uh, Tim Curry's It. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. That was nice. Yeah. That was like, like a little nostalgia, yeah, right? self-referential nostalgia. Yeah. In that complete that sweet, I wish uh, we would pack that. Obligatory Tim Curry <laughs> reference. Um, so the bit where you see the neck and it's a really long neck and the camera pans up the neck and the security guard's looking up and up and up and then at the top of the neck, it's a Rottweiler's head that just goes... Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it attacks him. <laughs> 
That was now that fucked me up. Uh, right then, section five, convincing Catherine. So while Damien uh, is uh, screaming at the sight of a cross, this doesn't convince Catherine, um, but she starts to be a bit concerned when he's uh, putting the willies up some giraffes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This is when she's like, he could be evil. You can't scare a giraffe like that. (laughs) No one can scare a giraffe that way. (laughs) So, so yeah, she's taken him to a safari park um, and the baboons, uh, they don't like Damien either. Uh, This is the scene that uh, Harvey Stevens says was actually genuine scary as a kid because the baboons were fucking up that car and they're in it. It is. Have you been to a safari park lately? I knew you were going to ask me that and I haven't, but you have, haven't you? I did go and Mm. we were so excited. It's like, let's go and drive through the monkeys. (laughs) So we did. And there's just, it may be like a hangover from this film, but there's a moment where you're like, what if they don't get off the car though? Like, what if this just turns really nasty? It's like, oh, look, it's, and the classic, they're pulling at the wing mirror and they're like picking the leaves out of the grill of the engine, very dirty car. But then you're like, you're not allowed to run them over. They're super clear about <laughs> when you go in but at some point I was like if these fucking things don't move or do turn nasty I start beating the glass or what they're monkeys aren't they? like wanking over the car or whatever mm. I'm going to have to run them down and that's going to upset the kids and then I'm a shit mum again mm. I mean I think that as long as you worked out that question in your head what is worse a monkey <laughs> wanking on your car or you driving over one and the kids being in the car with you <laughs> I think the they'd thing. rather see a monkey wanking you can you still so? sort of go they'll that's never funny. forget either way will they be like oh mm. what's that monkey doing nothing <laughs> or mum why is there monkey blood all over the front of the windscreen that's yeah. more disturbing Did they, so what like you're worried that they'll never get off do they not have like a, a sort of dry car wash like a monkey brush <laughs> at the end of the safari park that just brushes any monkeys that are still attached to the car you're not off? allowed to move well while the monkeys are on the car you have to remain stationary right. so they're super clear about that as well right. so you're on your stationary and then you're there for like quite a long time you're like we, we've got to crack on like we've got to have dinner get the kids in bed you, I do, you I'm know, ready for the engine to you know, Oh, did you really? Yeah, of course. What are you like? Get off. <laughs> because if you'd been in the car behind yeah. and you were watching the car in front covered in monkeys, you'd be like, they've got the fucking monkeys. Yeah. I want that experience. I did think that for Kathy. I was like, obviously it's terrifying for you, but it's great value mm. really for the ticket that you've yeah. got for the safari park. Yeah. Not everyone gets that show. Well, either way, Kathy's now uh, got wise to something and she does say, uh, what could be wrong with our child, Robert? were beautiful people. And he's just like, don't know, hmm? to be honest. That's the point where maybe you go, <laughs> yeah. listen, have a seat. Um, so, uh, weirdly, I, I don't know, can I ask, did the, did the monkey smell? Because uh, <laughs> Harvey Stevens spends a lot of his interview at this Horicon uh, talking about uh, the smell of the baboons. Not to my memory. Okay. He probably shat himself. Good section. <laughs> <laughs> because they tell this weird story where to, to, get, the, to get the baboons to go crazy... The head baboon in that in that area had to have an operation, so they came in and knocked it out. And the guy said, "Look, take this head baboon. He's, at, he's unconscious. Put him in the car with you. And when the other baboons see you've got their leader in there, they'll go crazy." And so they <gasps> that did. explains oh. it. So Richard Donner said they did that, and then the baboon started coming round and started grabbing Lee Remick's hair, and so she was no. hysterical. And then, as he puts it, <laughs> the kid was in a total state of panic, and so. It's all real what's happening in that scene, basically. So yeah. I'm not that's sure that's terrible. right. <laughs> I think they should have done that's that. so weird. He says that in the interview and I just went, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about because you would never put a baboon <laughs> yes, 
in the car with in them. In a family car. And because he starts going, yeah, and it was in there. And that's why he could smell it so badly. Yeah. So that's that makes sense. What a crazy thing but to those do. those actors, what are they supposed to do? If I get out of the car, mm. these angry baboons will tear me limb from limb. But I've got boss baboon in here. And no one can get into the car to sedate it more. So we are fucked either way. I've got to smother it, I guess. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You would as well, wouldn't you? I, I, even before it started coming around, you'd be like... Pass me that empty crisp wrapper. <laughs> I'm just going to strangle it. <laughs> uh, your relationship with animals troubles me. Right, section six, Robert's realisation. Uh, Robert is starting to suspect something is getting serious now. Uh, so Jennings, uh, he goes, come and have a look at these photos. Isn't that weird, huh? And Father Brennan is there with a spike through him. Love that idea. Robert meets Father Brennan, who literally can't do himself any favours in telling Robert what's going on in calm, considered sentences. Robert actually says to him, so say what you have to say. And he goes, from the internal sea he rises, <laughs> creating armies on either shore, turning man against his brother till man exists no more. Cool. <laughs> what do I do with that? What is that? I thought you had something to tell me. The city of Megiddo, Bugenhagen, Flapnack. <laughs> it's like, these aren't words that I understand. <laughs> um, anyway. And it is frustrating because he's like, he alone will describe it. It's like, but I'm in front of you. So why don't you have a pop at it? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, Bugenhagen is just a funny name. I'm sorry. It's, it made me laugh every time I said it. Bugenhagen. Um so, having been, I guess, semi-useful, like giving them two bits of information, Brennan is now chased by lightning and impaled on a lightning conductor, um, which is, I guess, the... F well, no, maybe not the first point in the movie. It's the first point where, like, something happens that exists without Damien being on camera. Yeah, and, it's like uh, the forces have been summoned, yeah. yeah. Like, you're suddenly aware that there's a, there's another force like, at, work, at, yeah. at play here. And then we get section seven, little tyke on a trike. Damien kills Catherine's unborn baby by knocking her off a balcony in a great scene when she's clinging on good or is, her face. Or is right. Stuart, Stuart Baird, the editor, calls it the sequence that Stanley Kubrick stole. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of that. I, I didn't think of, of it. I was only, I, I, before, I, before I listened to the commentary, I was watching it this time and thought, well, what year was this trying to figure out with The Shining? And of course, it's four years before The Shining. It's very similar, the way it's shot, the way they use sound in it. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. And his it's, hair it's a, as well. Yeah, that's lift. so weird. Did you think that Damien, in my memory, he pried her fingers off yeah, the yeah. balustrade? Yeah. yeah. I remember that as well. But false memory. Mm -hmm. mm. He doesn't. They, so they are trying to keep it ambiguous. That could have been an accident. I mean, what the hell yeah. is she doing, you know, standing like that in that position right there? It's, uh, it's dodge. I'll blame her. Yeah, nice. Thank you. We get a massive exposition dump now. Uh, David Warner, Jennings has been doing a lot of digging. So he's found out that Father Brennan had a birthmark on his thigh that read 666. This confused me because I immediately went, wait, so he has the same birthmark as Damien's going to have later on. So it's weird that they call it a birthmark because it's sort of the implication then is he was a former Damien? Yeah. He was a former Antichrist who somehow broke his programming. I just ignored it. I was like, it's a branding, it's not a birthmark. Because he right. was a follower, yeah. Which is what it is. Like yeah. he's part of a group of Satanists. Um and the the the, the novelization, I don't know you hate talking about novelization, Chris. The novelization uh does a little bit more of him. His character's called something different, but he's part of the group that murder Thorne's child and replace it with um the Antichrist. And he basically Why, why would they say it's a birthmark if it's not a birthmark? 
Because it's not a birthmark. Because it makes no sense that it's a birthmark. There's no way of working out that that makes sense. So I don't think he, I don't think you're born a Satanist. I think it's a choice you make. So it's just a mark that he's had well, some I'm, kind of branding from being in this but, cult. But by saying he's got a six 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 birthmark, I think they are saying that you were born. These these people, these followers of of Satan, were born that way. But then there's nothing to demarcate him from the child. Then they're the same because you could grow up to be just a follower rather than grow up to be the boss. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they're saying that Satan has a 666 birthmark and all his followers have the same birthmark. Okay. No, it's a mark that he's put on himself because the the, the one thing, the final, like like what Vicky just said, the final thing that marks Damien out is 100% Bugenhagen goes, don't actually kill him until you've checked this one thing out and it's a birthmark that says 666. So it has to be specific to Damien. I'm misunderstanding what birthmark means. Anyway, it's a stupid thing to say. I think the film shouldn't call it a birthmark. I think it's a mistake. Um, But yeah, in the novel, he kills the baby with a rock to the head and it takes too many attempts that it makes him... Oh, you've read the novel. I'm telling you what you know. I'd forgotten that until you just said it. The the book is a lot scarier than the film, I remember thinking. I read this extract. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and I read that and I was like... Oh, he's sort of like he's a com- he's a committed Satanist, but because he has to kill the baby and he has to keep smashing its head with a rock, and it takes several attempts, he's like, "Now I'm not I'm cool out. with this." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in the book, he finds out he's got cancer. It sounds a little bit like Constantine. He finds out he's got cancer and wants to earn God God's forgiveness mm. so he can go to heaven, and so that's why he's trying to tell Thorn all about what's going on. Uh, this is the bit you mentioned at the start, section eight: meddling men in the med. <laughs> <laughs> So we get, the movie sort of does a sharp right here. Um, we get Peck and Warner is this buddy movie. Yeah. Where they're searching for the truth in uh, Italy. I don't like it, I'll be honest. Because it takes me out of the the Satan stuff mm-hmm. a bit. We're finding out information that I feel certain we already know because you're waiting for the characters to realise it, but you, I feel like we knew it. So, And also, a scary priest has said, go to Megiddo. And it's mm-hmm. like, so just go there. Like, why are we in Cavetti? Why are we here? Why are we here? We want to go there. And I don't want to be finding a man when we go there. I want to be finding an artefact because I've already met a scary man. So I don't want to go and meet another man. Like, I think that's, I think this section, just for me, the bit where they're having a fucking espresso on the service station, I was like, yeah. it's daft. Yeah, it's not. It's not at all threatening, which is a shame. I, I like the stuff about the Satanists basically sort of wiping uh, everything out, so there's no way of tracking this child as far as um, yes, you know, the hospital the records, burning down, the yeah. records gone. Weirdly. I like it. It looks so different to the rest of this movie when they go to the cemetery. It's like we've clearly walked onto Shepperton Studios film sets now uh, for this cemetery. And it's got this sort of hyper-stylized look, which is really cool. But at the same time, it looked like the realism of everything else that has gone before is just gone. Because yeah. you're like, this is a film set that you're on. And if the devil wanted to kill Jennings mm. and he does get very bitten by a dog... Mm. then just kill him then because he escapes even though the dogs really have bested him and he escapes and it feels like just so we can have the head chopping off a bit later Mm. but if he was marked to be dead because he's interfering in this scheme he gets almost eaten so it feels a bit strange that the devil controlling the dogs and the weather and whatever else would pull back from that moment he likes a memorable death does the devil that's the thing yeah I think he's a bit of a show off he's a craftsman (laughs) he's like chewed to death by dogs plate of glass (laughs) what would you go for I'm I'm asking you my demons Uh, what would you go for which is it Um, so they find the corpse of the jackal uh, who was Damien's mother and then that's that's the really dark bit where Robert Thorne finds his own baby's corpse with his head smashed in in a grave and he's like they murdered him Mm. 
So that is worth this trip alone. Yes, that's true. Not sure he'd be saying that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny. I think, I oh, think I'm so that, glad we did this. <laughs> that is worth the trip, but I don't think uh, the moment when they conflate the rise of the Roman Empire with the success of the common market Sorry, yeah, that's so weak. Like, just cut that line. Just cut that section. Yeah. Well, especially since Seltzer wrote that. Like, these are this is his writing, so it's like shit. Actually, have you you think of something else? Have you filmed that bit? (laughs) Commonwealth. That'll do. Yeah, Commonwealth. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Robert seems to be, if not like, there's a weird thing here. So he's still not convinced that Damien is the Antichrist, but he is convinced there are some nefarious forces at play. So it's like it's the final like uh, hurdle he's going to cross before he finally goes. Yeah, Damien is a, a bad kid because he um, he calls Kathy and warns Kathy to get out of the hospital, which isn't because he thinks Damien's the Antichrist. It's because he thinks you know people might try and harm her, but it's too late. Mm. Baylock turns up. I've never really referenced this death before in in my watching of The Omen. Um, it's never sort of stuck with me. This time, this is possibly one of the worst deaths because it's the fact that she's taking her top off. She gets stuck in her nightie. She gets stuck in a fucking nightie and she's vulnerable because Baylock's not that strong. I mean, as it turns out, she is later, but you don't know that. So she would have, Kathy would have had a fighting chance to defend herself if it hadn't been that awful moment. For a fussy night where, mm. yeah, she shouldn't be wearing it. It's ornate for a hospital stay. Just it's the vulnerability of her being in that and unable to defend herself yeah. and going out the window. It's super. Because also when she's got her arm in plaster, it's quite an unusual thing to do to your female lead because it looks quite funny. Mm. Like in you know, and it's not funny that she's had this terrible fall, but because she's got her little arm sort of stuck up all the time. But then it becomes really important later because she wouldn't necessarily get stuck in her nighty without it. Mm. So it's all so awful, isn't it? That you've got your arm in this terrible position and you can't get out of this thing. Yeah. Um, either way, she gone. So Robert Thorne finds out that Kathy is dead. This is the scene that he and Donna had a massive argument about. Peck and Donna had a huge argument about this because uh, uh, Donna hears from his props guy that uh, Gregory Peck is asking for uh, breakable stuff. Uh, for the scene in the hotel room when he finds out she's dead and Donna's like what are you doing this isn't written and he's like no I've decided that I want to smash it up that's how I'm going to express myself in this scene I want to smash the lamp I want to smash the table because I've just found out Kathy's dead and that's that's what I want to do and Donna goes I don't want to do that I want to find you a little bit later so we see you receive the phone call and then we come to you later and it's all very internal it's like this sort of realization that the child has to die and you're lying on the bed and peck's like yeah i i want to do it my way and i was like yeah i'm not going to do it that way you're going to do it my way and they have there's a brief pause and then peck comes to donna and goes i'm right you're wrong but you're the director so we'll do it your way and so Donna is still a bit like, okay, this is a, it's Gregory Peck I'm having this argument with. So he <laughs> run, rehearses the scene with his lighting, with his camera pull, with his cameraman to just get it in one. And so Peck comes in the following day and Donna describes the scene to him. He's like, you're lying on the bed. You're very sad. Very sad. Or, you know, this is your monologue. And um, <laughs> Peck goes... This is so wrong. Uh, but he does it. He does it. And they get it in one take. And at the end of that take, Gregory Peck goes, all right, let me do it again now. And Donna goes, no, you will never do it better than that. And so Peck goes to the dailies to see the scene, to check 
what Don has said is right and he watches the scene and he stands up in front of everyone and goes, I was wrong. Richard Donner was right. Dick Donner, as everyone called him. Uh, Dick Donner is right. And yeah, this is a fucking great scene. Yes, it is. So he does a decent thing because yeah. it is a great scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, they became friends after this. Um, Donna went to a New Year's Eve party at um, at the new home Gregory Peck had bought after this movie. Because as Donna tells it, he, said, he says, Gregory Peck made a lot of money on this film. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> And at the New Year's Eve party, Gregory Beck's thanking everyone for being there. And he goes, and also thank you uh, to Dick Donner uh, for the omen and therefore this house. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that was their only argument. Aside from that, Donner talks about uh, how um, Peck was an absolute delight to work with. So two sections to go. Very quick sections. Section nine, bugging Bugenhagen. Uh, Jennings and Thorne. I'm like, come on, Bugenhagen, what do we do? And Bugenhagen's like, you've got to stab the kid. <laughs> this is how you kill the kid. You've got to kill him, and not in a really quick way, because no. he's sort of, you've raised him as your own son. Mm. And it would be fucking lovely if you could just shoot the bastard. <laughs> but what you've got to do is you've got to stab him seven times up to the hilt in these knives, marked out like a cross, and then uh, do it on an altar in a church. So there's... <laughs> Robert Thorne's like, is he sure? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, I know I've just said the child has to die. I was kind of like thinking, like, you know, this is a lot of stabby stabby yeah. in a church. Very intentional. And so he sort of goes, I don't think he is. And then Jennings is like, I'll fucking. <laughs> yeah. Robert isn't keen. So he chucks a bag of knives down a street, <laughs> which seems uh, foolish. Mm. Uh, great moment. Lovely prop head. Looks fantastic. Yeah. I love David Warner so much. I don't like the character in this film, but he is good. Yeah. yeah. But I just I just find him a bit he's just so of the time, like the way he looks and he's and he and he is just Mr. Exposition the whole way through. But it's worth it to watch the head spinning round off that plate of glass. <laughs> So, final section, section 10. I've just called it the climax. Thorne kills Baylock, traps the dog in the basement. Um, and then rather than quietly sneak Damien to church, uh, he decides to murder him by driving at full speed through the police on the gate, uh, alerting them to the fact that something's going wrong. And all I can think is that, you know, traditionally, structurally, movies, a lot of movies have a car chase at this exact point yeah. in their structure. And so it's like, we need a chase. It's just a shame because of you, Matt, no, very personal. When you see an old British police car and you hear the way that, you know, the older accents and it's like, get him kind of thing. And it just seems silly. Mm. Like it's doesn't you know we do car chases so much better these days but it just looks a bit uh provincial mm. uh the police have a gun uh looks like more of them one of them are armed i don't think that's that's not something i mean i don't know whether because they're... i think if you oh. are guarding a diplomat or yeah. an ambassador you are armed. that's true didn't think of that mm. so they're not just you you stand please daddy no <laughs> no please daddy no i was so glad he did that because i didn't think he was gonna because he's like fuck you dad <laughs> like i'm the devil but it has to happen because you have to play on. I don't doubt. I I know that Damien is the devil, but what we're playing on here is, is he going to go through with it? Because that is his son. And so you have to have that moment. But it doesn't sound like it, it sounded dubbed to me, but that's a minor thing. Yeah. But you have to have him say it and it is good that he does. And it causes uh, Thorne to pause for just long enough for the police to go. <laughs> uh, so Damien survives uh, to make the sequel, Damien, the Omen 2 and Omen 3, Omen 3 the final conflict. Um which, like you said, Chris, he's become Sam Neill. Uh, that's all I got. Any more for any more? Well, he didn't die. So in the original cut, um, uh, Damien, Damien dies along with his father and his mother. 
And there's three graves in that final scene. And Alan Ladd Jr. watched watched the first cut of it and said, you've got to keep the kid alive. Um, this doesn't work by, by, by having him die and having this semi-positive ending. So he gave them money mm. to shoot of that final shot of, of Damien turning around and smiling. He's not in the scenes before then. <laughs> and so um, brilliant from Alan Ladd, really. Donna said he completely changed, yeah. changed the ending of the movie. Yeah, it's great. Because that's, that, that's the bit you remember as well. The yeah, bit where the long shot well, of the smile. breaking the fourth wall as well. He's yeah, looking yeah. directly at you. It's yeah. sort of like a bold move. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's good. Uh, right, then let's do the bits. Uh, Chris, best scene. Uh, best scene is when David Warner loses his head. Um, and we, do, we, 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 should, we need to thank the stunt coordinator for that because originally it was a plane of glass being dropped from the top of a building but they couldn't get it to fall properly. It kept sort of feathering from side to side. So he suggested the glass slide and it was Donna who said, let's grab every camera available. And he, he shot it four times. And he said the idea he had for in the cinema is that when you know something bad is going to happen, you shut your eyes for three seconds. And so that's why he shows the head being decapitated four times because that fourth time gets everyone who'd closed their eyes the first ah, time. That's brilliant. So he that's said good. you get the additional screen. And I think that's why it's so memorable. And, you know, watching this again, you know, Final Destination owes a lot to this movie, mm. I think, in terms of the, and, and, you know, and the ring a little bit, but that prediction, that seeing how a death's going to happen and then, and then the build up to it here is something that Final Destination took to the next level. But this is the first time I really saw it properly like that. True doubt. V. Tricycle, fishbowl, her face, Damien's face, Mrs. Baylock's face. Oh, I love the fish. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Something weird about watching, yeah. This looks amazing. Hmm. The way it just arcs through is great. Uh, well, we've all got three different ones, which is nice. I'm, uh, this time I'm, I'm going for uh, Catherine's death. Uh, I, it really upset me, like being trapped in a top and like seeing some, like I can imagine her just running towards her and pushing and being able to move your fucking arms. Yeah. It's awful. Awful. I hate that. Uh, MVW, Victoria. Most uh, valuable whatever. Billy Whitelaw as Mrs. Baylock. Oh, wow. As this Harridan hell witch. I think the way that she pushes back gently against her boss, Robert, about the dog, she's got this quiet authority. Um, she's completely fearless, but she has to play it being respectful. The way she does that just like sets your teeth on edge, that she inveigles her way into this family so easily. And uh, yeah, very powerful. Chris? We drink the blood, we eat the body, raise the body of Satan, hail, hail the Antichrist, hail Satan. You know what that and is? Now you're MVW. <laughs> uh, no, what is that? That is the Latin. Oh, I bet I can. Yeah. That is the Latin yeah. that's being sung on Jerry Goldsmith's score. And so I'm going for Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, Donna claims that his score is as important as the visuals to the success of this movie. I would agree. It is every devil movie now has to have a score or a soundtrack like that. And it was all from the mind of Jerry Goldsmith. And yeah, so those are the lyrics that are being sung. I mean, um, uh, just uh, I'll show my working out the the score. I have Jerry Goldsmith's yep. score. It only feels right as well at the end of the Jerry Goldsmith month. The Jerry month Goldsmith, the accidental month. He actually get MVW for something. <laughs> so yeah, Jerry Goldsmith's score. And this was um, his I'm just one, hearing it. This was his one Oscar. I think he got he got nominated seventeen yep. times, and this was his his sole win. So well done, Jerry. Right then, and finally, Chris, what would you change? So uh, this change is wrong, and I wouldn't do it, but. Part of me would like to see this version of the film. So I think Billy Whitelaw is fantastic as, Mrs. as Miss Baylock, but I'd like to see a less sinister version of that character. I think it could be more frightening if she's just like the old dears in Rosemary's Baby or she's like Mrs. Doubtfire, some lovable woman mm. who loves her job. <laughs> and so you don't suspect her, 
So I wouldn't be questioning why would I let this woman in my house from the opening scene. So I think I'd like to see that version yeah. of this film. That's interesting, actually. I hadn't thought of that. How does that sit with you, Victoria? That's a great idea. Okay, what's yeah. your change? So I don't think two things. I don't think, and I know you really like Kathy's death. I don't think she should die by falling because she's already fallen. So oh, yeah. I think there needs to be another way of doing that. Um, but this, the other thing, and this is just like a change for fun because it's, you know, it's again petty with a film that this is this good. But when Robert and Mrs. Baylock are having their fight in the kitchen and he kills her, he shouldn't kill her dead. He should overpower her enough to get out of the house. Mm. But he's escaped and he's off to do the thing with Damien. Mm. the dog escapes from the basement and walks over to Mrs. Baylock and is like, you have failed in your mission and eats her. Wow. That's probably a lot to digest, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> at that point. Just for fun. It's just a, it's, it's a fun, fun change, yeah. yeah. I think at that point you're sort of like, you, what, you want to just go off with Robert, but yeah, it's a fun change. I'd love to say, I, you know, that would play into my You don't fears. even see it eating. It doesn't mm. talk. It just prowls up. Oh, fuck that. No. At the hospital, like you think the door's being pushed open by a human when it's Kathy's still in bed. By a dog. And it's the dog. <laughs> and she's like in bed and she's strapped down and the dog just jumps on the bed and eats her. Something with a dog eating someone I'm totally on board with. Uh, I, I, you did mine at the start, which is I do think at, at some point Thorne should have to tell his wife what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Um, I think that's... I think It is amazing that she's pregnant again and she doesn't want it because she thinks she's going mad. She thinks she doesn't recognise her own child and yeah. he has the power to undo that. And also that you had to get your husband's permission for an abortion. That blew my head off. Like that he can say no and it's not going to happen. And I think it would just make her... It would empower her to, to protect herself. Like, I think you could do it in a way that maybe he was trying to tell her. So you see him try to tell her. Like in the hospital, he's like, I need to tell you something. This is this. And at that point, it's too late. Like, you know, something attacks her. Mrs. Yeah. Baylock stops her. So he was going to tell her because you just feel like her. She wouldn't be like, I've gone nuts as much. Yeah. Or they could have a section where they team up. She can still get killed, but they could team up for a little bit to mm. stop the child. They could go rather than him going on holiday with, with the photographer and sharing a room. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Shall we get our own room? Yeah. Nah, it's fine. Let's not. Yeah. Um, he could go on a road trip with his wife, which yeah. would be nice. You are the uh, American ambassador. Surely you can afford... I want to stay in the same room as you. <laughs> it's nice. It's important. To I don't like sleeping on my own. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's everyone. Then we're done. It's time for the verdict. I would like to very quickly just give you two quotes before we do the verdict, if that's all right, because they kind of connect that's these fine, films Chris. in quite a dark way. Um, okay. This is a quote from Ira Levin, the writer of Rosemary's Baby. He says, I feel guilty that Rosemary's Baby led to the exorcist and the omen. A whole generation has been exposed, has more belief in Satan. I don't believe in Satan, and I feel the strong fundamentalism we have now would not be as strong if there hadn't been so many of these books. Of course, I didn't send back any of the royalty checks. Hmm. And David Seltzer says something quite similar, um, the writer of The Omen. He said, I did it strictly for the money. I was flat broke. It's very pleasant not having to worry about grocery bills for the first time in my life. I just wish I'd had this kind of success with something I personally found more meaningful. I do find it horrifying how many people believe all this silliness. So it's interesting that the <laughs> well, writers of both these he'd stories... He did eventually because he, he went on to write My Giant with Billy Crystal. Yeah. So. But it's interesting that both the writers felt genuine regret for, for making these stories. It's a weird. Um, it's a weird idea. This idea that you know, I actually don't know how much of my belief in the devil comes from watching fucking films like this. Because mm. uh, you know, I stopped doing RE when I left school. So this even is, though you have a, a perfect memory, an amazing for, knowledge of it of yeah. the Old Testament. Mm, frustratingly, well, frustratingly clear memory. I still pick up the good book every so often. Just for, <laughs> for what hints and tips. A <laughs> hints and tips. Uh, right then, let's do the verdict. 
You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! These were your movies. Yeah. Who do you want to go first? Um, You, Chris. Sorry, Chris, okay. you go first. The Omen is hokey, silly, schlocky, and very, very, very entertaining. Uh, but I do believe it relies on shock value. And once the mystery is revealed, I don't think it rewards repeat viewings, aside from a couple of those deaths. Uh, whereas conversely, I'd say Rosemary's Baby is a perfect film. Uh, the writing, the directing, the acting, the staging are all note perfect. There's not a wasted moment in the film. I think it's just as good the second time round because we, and you can see how the characters are manipulating Rosemary. You understand how the film was manipulating us. So I think it's a genuine masterpiece. Uh, therefore, I'm going for Rosemary's Baby. Lovely. Okay. What about you? So I told you it's very close for me with these movies and I'm actually going to flip-flop for the final time and not go with what I had written down on the page in front of me because I was going to pick one movie, which I, I think Chris is right. It may be the perfect movie, but I, I honestly, just talking about it now, I've enjoyed The Omen more. And because they're so close and these are your movies, I'm going to hand the power to you. It's one each for The Omen and Rosemary's Baby. I'm voting for The Omen. Wow, Mad. okay. Mad. Brilliant. But I also saying that, I'm not just doing that to create a little a bit, bit of tension of now. I do actually, it's too close for me to call. Of I course, think, yeah. I think for all the reasons that The Omen is a bit silly and after watching Rosemary's Baby, I was like, Oh, what did I just watch? Mm. That was incredible. And very, like, the reason I love Rosemary's Baby is because it's one of those, like, very, it's a movie that immerses you in it and transports you to that time and place. And you feel very claustrophobic in that apartment with all this stuff going on to poor Rosemary. But, you know, I love me a beheading. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, I respect that. I respect that a lot. It has been really close. Um, going into watching both of these films, I knew I loved The Omen and the the real world lore of it, which we talk about all the time, even though it's quite enhanced, uh, is what attracted me to it in the first place. And I do think I I think I thought a lot about The Antichrist because of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, Gregory Peck is, is a very commanding presence in this film and like worth watching for that alone, even if it is a bit daft in the middle with running around having a coffee in a service station and all the rest of it. Then when I watched Rosemary's Baby, I'd put it on. I was like, because mm, again, when I watched it when we were younger, I was like, it's just a bit boring. And it just blew my head off how good it is and how much I missed that first time or first two times round. Um, and Mia Farrow's performance, it just it would just stay with me now that I'm a grown up and I sort of get it a bit more because of the way it creeps up on you and and the ensemble, the pacing, the performances. It's having put it on in the week and just being like, okay, I'm excited to watch it, but you know, whatever. It's now genuinely in like my top five favorite films. Wow. It's so, so, so fucking good. And I can't believe I just dismissed it that easily all that time ago. But I just wasn't ready. Whereas the omen got me when I was younger. I was like, yeah, cool, spikes and glass and whatever and Rosemary's Baby is astonishing so Rosemary's Baby there you go I think the right film won I was I was on the fence but Rosemary's Baby is our winner this week and we're done right then uh, let's look ahead to next week's clash obviously you want some homework to do don't you so the clue I gave on Monday was the return of the space cowboy I hope no one did uh, Chris like and at deep Deep dive on Jamiroquai uh, because <laughs> God, that no. is not where I was going. I'm a simple man. I like simple things. So we're doing space westerns on the show next week, which means Christopher, 
I'll do you first, Victoria. Victoria, uh, you get to watch and have a think about a movie I've been <laughs> threatening to do for a very long time. And while Chris is like literally not physically here, I've just taken it upon myself to just uh, go wild, go free, live on the frontier. Well, daddy's out. <laughs> mm, like Sean Connery does in Outland. It just turns out the frontier is a space station. You get Outland, uh, which means Chris. With a score by Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry Goldsmith, two months, continues on the show. In the meantime, Chris, uh, you are doing another Space Western. Uh, Serenity is what you get. Uh, So uh, if you want to go watch these movies, Serenity is available if you've got a Netflix subscription for free or on Apple. If you don't, and Outland is available to rent on Amazon. Can we make it and just Apple. very, very clear? We're talking about the 2005 Serenity. Oh my God! Not the Matthew McConaughey and Hathaway no. one. Which I'm I would put, quite like to put do you through one that. day, but, but I, yeah, not with. But it doesn't work in this circumstance. But yeah, I mean, we, the less said about that, if you haven't seen that, the better, because you want to watch it like I did and go, the fuck. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely, it is. Uh, yeah, the uh, sci-fi Serenity. Does that clarity? Have we given enough clarity, Chris? Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, also, if you haven't already subscribed to us, please do on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Clash, but we are back on Monday talking Outland, finally. Can't wait. Speak to you then. Bye-bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.